Hello and welcome to the Beginner's Handbook. I'm Jordan. I'm Jamie. And in this episode, we're going to do something a wee bit different. And what that is, is we're going to talk about bad guys or baddies that I'll probably refer to them as uh, in the tabletop games that we've played. Uh, when we say baddies or the bad guys, we're specifically, we're not just talking about big bosses, although we might have a big boss or two that we talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just more generally talking about bad ba- characters that were maybe bad to us, maybe more adversarial against us, whatever it may be. Uh, just mm-hmm. the, the people that were nasty to us that stuck out in our games. Most of these will be homebrew and some of them we might have spoke about, but we thought it was going to be cool. We may as well give out some GM appreciation for especially some one of the main mm-hmm. guys that, that we play games with or yeah. runs games <coughs> for us. Um, so there's definitely there's a whole bunch that I've got, but we'll leave it just a few. Um, but I Yeah, and again, we'll be kind of avoiding things like the, the kind of generic sort of stuff from like a monster manual or, or that kind of thing so anything that's too generic or something that you can pick up a book and steal it from chances are we're not going to be talking about that as well yep and if there is something like that then we've talked about it but most <laughs> of it is going to be maybe homebrew stuff that we've experienced through either GM's so maybe I've got some that I've ran but and some of them will be from maybe not straight from handbooks, but they'll be from campaigns. But there's going to be a lot that I've got as well that are from uh, actually other people that run games for us because there's a lot of cool stuff. Especially uh, one of the guys that we play, me and Jamie play in. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we just really enjoy. The, his custom creations mm-hmm. uh, and there's, there's so much di- different things there and kind of unique little things so uh, why don't uh, I think first of all before we even start uh, we want to throw that question to you have you ever came up against a bad guy or even a boss that you thought was a really cool experience whether you're playing or if you ran uh, ran the boss uh, we'd love to hear that from you and put them in the comments if you do uh, have anything like that because I'd certainly like to check them out mm-hmm. yeah and as well as well as having a favourite than letting us know why it was a favourite was it because it was a tense fight was it because that you <laughs> you took them out with one blow and it was dead easy and that you know you felt godly and powerful you know what what was it that made it stick out yep so I think then just to kick it off uh, well we're, we're not just going to cover like any NPC it'll be just the ones that really stood out that were bad to us and I think the first one and this is going to be one of the ones that I've ran um, now it's not the big boss but it is one of the kind of general monsters in the cinematic campaign for uh, it might be in the other ones but the Chariot of the Gods which is a free league publish it and it's uh, the alien RPG um, they've got hmm, if, you, if you're playing it as a player and or if you're about to start it maybe skip or the next five minutes or ten minutes after this because it might spoil some stuff but um Anyway, so there's something called the abominations. You've got infected people uh, in the alien uh, RPG, the Chariot of the Gods. So abominations are basically people that get infected with this goo. If you've seen Prometheus or maybe Covenant or both, uh, they, they touch on this black goo that turns people into these big bulbous head headed kind of zombies, basically. Um, so and they, what I like about them a lot is in the alien RPG... That they they have stages, so when somebody gets infected, they actually get like they get they get worse. They, they get some secret agendas that tell them if you're in trouble. You've actually played it, but mm-hmm. none of you got infected. One of them was an android as well, so it was even more annoying. I was desperate to have somebody get infected, but everybody survived at least that part of the game. 
But um, aye, you get infected, but as it goes on, you're supposed to play them a bit more aggressive, but eventually you become this, um, well, it's the abomination, which is just like this big zombie, and then it progresses to the beluga head, I think, which is like more hit points and more damage and all that good stuff. So, but anyway, that's the, the abomination, but the reason it's actually some of my favourites is, well, it's actually a simple thing to run as a GM, I ran it more. I've ran the Alien, the Chariot of the Gods for a few different groups. That's now three groups I think I've ran it for now uh, with a few games per per group. And what I've just loved about it is you can kind of do the bait and switch with people. If if you know the thing, uh, the movie, the thing, then you can sort of try and pull some of that on people because in Chariot of the Gods, <laughs> people are just expecting it's an alien RPG, where's the xenomorph? But when you start throwing in zombies that kind of act all weird or they chase people down, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of curveball that comes in because, again, like when we were playing it and when Jordan was running it for us, having seen a lot of the films, I don't know a lot of the kind of cult kind of stuff around it and things. So that's that's the trap that I fell into. Turn up, xenomorph, aliens, good to go. Shoot, don't go in the air vents. Whatever you do, don't go in the air vents and like take it from there. So then when you start seeing people turning a bit erratic and things, it, it threw that curveball that kind of made your brain engage and you had to start thinking about how you were going to puzzle your way through it. Mm-hmm. So it was it was good. It kept us on our toes. Well, what's good with that, that particular campaign or that um, cinematic experience as... Or cinematic campaign, it's actually called... Uh, is that they, they actually show the xenomorph, I would say somewhat early on. I mean, you do a wee bit of investigating, but eventually you do come across one um, and you've got options to have, I think, two or three or something like that. Mm. Um, and in Alien, if you're familiar with it, you don't really want to chuck aliens at people because they will kill people like very, very quickly. I think there was somebody died twice. They had two different characters and they died almost instantly to an alien. Um, I think it was the same one too. But... Um, so, but what's good about the the abomination is it does it does a wee bit of that bait and switch. And to give you an example, when I was running it, um, there's a sequence where somebody gets infected and an alien comes out of them and it scurries to the vents. But not long after that, you're supposed to at least optionally trigger some of these uh, reactions from the crew turning into abominations. Uh, so it wasn't yourselves, but mm-hmm. it was a different group um, who were being very aggressive like that's usually their path it's just like shoot them uh, and then things like Call of Cthulhu which they hadn't played at the time you don't want to shoot everything because you probably will get shot and die um, and they were learning that in Alien and it was a good lesson mm-hmm. for them but they they were trying to like threaten the corporal agent who was like wanting to shoot them like I had them ready to bl- give him a blast but eventually uh, he wanted to sneak in I think the corporal agent wanted to sneak into a room to get some files that she needed it's one of the NPCs who have their own agendas and snuck into the room uh, and they were insistent to come into the, the room with him and I'm like no or the character was like no uh, eventually I caved and thought Ay, why not sure I made them roll something and they succeeded but anyway I think now from what I remember he told me that I thought he locked the door so she couldn't get away for some reason I don't know why that happened um, but I think they said that I locked the door. I think that does make sense, but I don't remember it like that. It's also funnier when you say somebody mm. locks a door when there's a monster in the room. But um, anyway, this thing starts triggering, they start twitching, getting all weird and freaky, and they're just like, 
you want to wrap that, basically, is you want to stop that, and then I think they tried to belt them, but the, the monster did turn round, and unfortunately, and I felt bad, um, but one of the things I like about, oh, we'll come to that in a second, the thing turned round, and it literally, like, head-popped the guy, one-shot him, and mm. that was the end of his character, and everyone, the faces in that room, were just like, what the hell is going on here, man? Because if this if this isn't even an alien and it can do this, yeah, it's really bad. So I think particularly what I do like about uh, this is for the abomination, but generally an alien is your monsters have a table you roll on. I suppose you can pick the most sensible one, but you you roll on that table and that determines what the monsters do. And in the case of the abomination, all of them, if the higher you roll in your D6, the worse it is for the players. Mm-hmm. And the head pop was like a D6, like that. Oh, sorry, the six. Um, and but what's great about that is people can say, "But you just killed my guys on no death saves." It's like, no, not an alien. But you can go, "Well, that's what the dice rolled." So you can look at it, but that's what it rolled, you know. So it kind of absolves you of your crimes of insta-killing people, which is quite good. But that's more a mechanical benefit, I think. But overall, I did, I did really enjoy the Abomination. I've had a blast running them because you can just you can totally, on a dime, just be switching it on people. And it offered a lot of flexibility in a game that's very kind of um, claustrophobic. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, you don't know what crew, what crew members at least could, could switch at any time. I think, unless I ran it wrong, there was definitely people that were not infected, even though they had that serum. Um, it depends how it works. I but oh no, I never just, took it. Yeah. Oh yeah, you didn't take it. But some of the actual crew members <coughs> of the um, the Kronos had, yeah. but not everybody was infected. So it was it was a bit of a coin flip, and I'd done it before the game. So anyway, that was one of my favourite baddies that my players have came up against because they were totally, especially coming from D&D, they felt invincible and they're hit with these guys that are just tearing everybody apart. It was awesome fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, um, one that jumps out for me is it's not an individual that we've came across. Um, It's a kind of a group of people. Mm -hmm. So... This is going on to the long-term campaign that we're still playing through that you've maybe heard us talk about before, depending on you know if you've seen anything from us before. Um, if you have, great. If not, then welcome. Um, so this, you've maybe heard us refer to as the Dwarf Campaign um, when we've been talking to each other or, again, like our long-term campaign or whatever. So that's the one that we're talking about. So, if you haven't seen anything about it before, then the long and the short is that we are a group of dwarves that have been displaced from our homeland and we're travelling back to, you know, reclaim the land, basically. So, we've been working through and we've been going through everything. So, it's been going on the campaign as a whole for, I speak two and a bit years coming up for three years at the time of recording mm-hmm. don't know when this is going to get published um, so we've been working through for maybe year and a half to maybe even two years at this point it was, so the, this group of people got introduced quite late on and it was when we first started to get to like kind of really built up areas and kind of like mega city kind of type areas um, and we came across another group of dwarves but rather than 
because the way it's working as well is that each kind of clan has got their own claim for it so it's kind of like a race cross country to get there as well as kind of try to get as much resources as you can so that when you get there you've got something to back up your claim and back up your stake Um, so we had the odd skirmish with a kind of different group of dwarves before but when we came across this group who are called the Iron Founders when we came across them they were the first kind of group that weren't outwardly kind of hostile to us there wasn't a kind of avert rivalry they were kind of more reserved and on the fence but what had happened is our sort of core kind of group that makes the decisions for the like the travelling camp that's there they were all out dealing with whatever other problem we'd ran into probably of our own making um, as usually happens but then when we came back into the camp we seen that there was this figure that was talking and there was an audience around them and from what we could tell everybody in the crowd was quite captivated it was somebody quite charismatic and they were speaking and addressing the crowd so as we come back there's words backwards and forwards and then he and the group of guys that he was there with then leave so that was the first time in that whole campaign I think that we'd we'd stumbled across a political threat for us and a threat that it appeared that our normal course of action, much like your other group of players, which is to, you know, go and deal with it using violence and, you know, and more violence if that didn't work. We we were in the danger that if we'd done that, then the, the whatever percentage of the camp that seen the way that they talked and listened and started to buy into their message, that they would have flipped and turned against us at that point we had to kind of slam the brakes on and had to do a bit more thinking and that threat hasn't really went away it's kind of appeared here and appeared there and we haven't really had any real cause yet to kind of overtly deal with it we've had to use our thinking caps a bit more with them so that's the kind of for me the sort of main thing that's going to stuck in my mind about that the fact that we've had to kind of reassess and re-engage how we deal with it yeah it was definitely the first time I mean the thing is you hear this a lot in D&D where it's like murder hobos and that kind of phrase kicking about but a lot of the time when you look at some of the games at least you might play in your own circles a lot of the time, there's there isn't a kind of at least well developed. I think because it's actually hard to do, but there's not a lot of well developed other options to deal with mm-hmm. some of the problems you face, especially not in D and D. Because it really D and D's biggest thing mechanic is, as far as I can tell, combat. Which I think it does. De- I, I I prefer combat in other systems, but it, what it does good about combat is it offers kind of a bit of you know enough crunch to make you feel like you've got all these different tools in your belt and stuff 
So, but because that's the core thing, you know, people are expecting to level up. You know, the traditional way you've leveled up in an RPG is beat a monster, get the XP. So I think that's partly ingrained. But this was the first time, because I think all the problems prior to these Iron Founders you're talking about, it was like werewolves, it was like werewolf dwarfs or something. Then there was like some basilisk type thing at one. I think it was the very first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, God, this is going back a long time. Um, but it was literally, uh, there was a whole bunch of stuff that was like, you have to fight them. There was like the whole tower with like the Land of the Dead sequence yeah, and all that. Also came across an Ankeg that stole one of the, oh, the kids right. from the camp, which hasn't made my list because I thought that's kind of, you could just lift that from the monster manual. So although it was memorable because of everything else that happened, I, I cut it from the list. Uh, it's just because the list more a bit more unique, or at least special baddies. But um, but you're right. So there was that. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much everything was that. But that, like uh, Jamie, uh, you were saying, it it's the first time it's like the thinking caps go on, and this is it's a shame because I don't see it a lot in D and D. There's GMs I played with mm-hmm. who who say like, oh, there's all these other ways to do it, but really. They, they always give you people that are super obtrusive, they're arrogant, they might be racist if you've got racism in your game. Um, so And they almost force you into needing to just fight. You get the players to the point where they just want to kill the baddie. What's the point of even trying to speak to them? Even in the more political components of the dwarf game, I've been saying, like, like everybody's screwing us over. What is the point? Just let's just kill them. And I mean, I'm strong enough just to kill them in five or six rounds, so there's no point in wasting our time. <laughs> but... Um, but that was the first time where the political component came in. Uh, and I'd still probably say it's one of the stronger ones. Cause there's a couple others I can think of. But, um, and I mean, the thing is as well, at that point was that they turned up and they were charismatic. And they weren't overtly evil, though. Th- yeah. They were definitely a pain. They yeah. were definitely up to something. But it wasn't like <laughs> Again, they're the bad kinda, guys. But that's the thing. So I was kind of <laughs> showing our bias at that point. The fact they went... <gasps> They're more popular than us. We must deal with them. You know, that that was kind of instantly the kind of path that at least I went down. I went, charismatic, they've turned up. A lot of people seem to be engaging with this. So our position of power is now under threat and we must deal with this problem. That was instantly where the way I went. Mm-hmm. But then when you kind of put the brakes on and things, you go, well... Maybe because they're charismatic, we might be able to use them in some way. And they hadn't done anything particularly, like, like you're saying, particularly evil, particularly threatening, whatever. But we kind of came in at the tail end of the con, like the tail end of the speech and things. And it was only after we'd done our digging about an investigation that it was pretty much a case of, why are you here with them? Come join us. We're much better. You know, we've got you know, tents that are twice as big or, you know, whatever the sales pitch was. So you go, I know, no, they'll try to take people from the camp and, yeah, this is this is a problem. Yeah, and from that, there was also, like, smear campaigns going on about our, our camp and Later stuff. On, yeah. I, I, just, I just remembered that. So Literally in a newspaper. Yeah, well. literally. The, full front page ad. Yeah, I know, maybe we shouldn't. Nah, I won't go into some of the details. I don't know how uh, how kosher some of it was. But yeah, there was there was smear campaigns going on. But it's the first time in D&D, at least in more, I say recent memory, even though it was like two and a half years ago. But it's 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 really the, probably the best implemented, other than like maybe some superb like published campaigns and the homebrew campaigns I've played the D&D that I've been a player in. 
uh, certainly one of the more sophisticated or uh, it's definitely probably the best at least representation of that that I've seen um, because you don't get it a lot and I mean there's people that will claim that the, their games are full of politics but most of the time you look at the, the actual the, the roadblocks and I find at least with a lot of the people that I play with or I play their games it's usually still like okay you're forced to do something and you've either got to just say yes sir or you kill them and it solves the problem you know um, so and I know probably that our GM will have more things like that coming up and if it's not with these guys it'll be with a different group but um, do you know that actually takes me on to um, someone else in the in the dwarf game because I don't know if we've ever spoke about them but I suppose you might get a stat block for this but at least the game we played it was definitely homebrew uh, there's a couple of now I they're not technically baddies. I know this episode's about baddies, but they became baddies. Well, well, they did for for my own sanity <laughs> and my own guilt. They they were baddies. They became victims. Let's let's be honest about it. They became to be, victims. To be fair, they instigated it. From what I remember. No. <laughs> well, for the purposes of this podcast, they definitely one hundred percent instigated for purpose, it. For the purpose of my legal case. <laughs> Yeah, so this was a couple. Oh God, it's actually worse than I remember. There's a couple called Mavis and Gilbert. Although I think we named them that, or I named them that in a picture I made for them. Um, but anyway, I, I think we probably just called them because they didn't actually have a name. But um, I think I tried to speak to them, uh, and then things kicked off, and they, they definitely started the fight. Um, but it was a couple of hippos in a game. And I think what was fun about it now, like we're sitting there, not technically baddies, I suppose, but just to to force them into baddies so we can use them for this list. And what was really fun about it was it was it was a great, I think, example of how you can like they were probably on the fly these things. So on the fly, um, you could throw in baddies that had a wee bit of depth or whatever, even if it's superficial depth, it doesn't matter. Like it was a fun encounter at the end of the day. And it ended up being a really fun fight between two hippos, which were doing an immense amount of damage from what I remember. And for whatever reason they had anti magic capabilities that if you used a Vorpal blade it would weirdly you could shoot them with magic arrows and it hurt but when you used a magic weapon it could rebound and kill you. I, I didn't quite work out that part. But they had all these little quirks and unique little things about them. And in the fight, it actually t- went from a whole, this is a stupid wee D&D situation, to, oh my God, we might lose our characters if we're not, if we're not careful. But I think I ended up killing them all um, because I wanted their pelt or something to make armour, anti-magic armour, which we've never done yet. So maybe we should no. actually prioritise that because yeah. um, that would help. I can certainly use some stuff against that. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Anyway, so it was a it was a couple of hippos. Um, I think we let their offspring go, but it was a wee family of hippos that were just random, and it was just a fun thing. Like it was in that campaign, but definitely they made my list for favourite wee baddies because sure they weren't like some built up big boss. It's a great example of how winging it and and just going with the flow and and trying to make things enjoyable rather than trying to be super serious all yeah. the time with your games. It really pays off because that still sticks out. Yeah, to and, me. And again, technically most of what they were was lifted straight from Monster Manual, just hippo and taken over. But they had the tweaks on it, like the anti-magic stuff, and they got their personalities and, you know, everything kind of 
went from there. Um, I strongly disagree with your version of events, but I'll, I'll just keep that to myself. And ah, well, that character's dead, though, so, so you have no in-game memory of it anyway, it's just me. That's true, but I've, I've got it, though. Uh, you're lying, though. <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean that's it. I mean I don't I don't know what hippo stat blocks are like. I've never actually noticed. I mean I don't. I've got monster manuals. I just don't tend to read them. I oh. usually Google monsters that I want to use, and then I take that and then I adjust it. But um, <clears throat> they definitely don't have anti magic field if they're in the whatever manual of the many monster what, manuals there are. Hippos. Yeah. No. Um, they they definitely don't have anti magic. They, they live in Africa though. Yeah. Well, we're in fantasy, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, but it was good. It was a lot of fun. And do you know what? It makes you remember how scary hippos really are. Because these mm. things hit hard. I don't know what level we are, but they were hard. Oh, that's a good point. What were we at the time? Who Maybe knows? We're probably the same level for uh, quite a while. So five, five or six. It was maybe. probably five. I think yeah. it was probably five. Um, but yeah, they actually made my list, and I'm not even kidding. That was something that it's very much an in-person joke. But the takeaway from it is mm. just like, you know you can still have really memorable baddies that are just off the cuff and they were a great example of it because they were fun and I think particularly what the guy our GM had done to, you know, making it a wee family. I think they were pleading for their lives at one, but I can't remember. Um, it was really, it was really horrible and I think at the end of it, I think I went like, are we like the bad guys? And I think my alignment changed. I think the GM was like, right, your alignment changes now. Mm-hmm. I was like, well... Fair enough. Um, fair enough. Oh, do you know what it was? I think I was trying to talk to one of the offspring and then that kicked it off because I think they thought I was going to kill it or something. That's what, I think that's what it was because I failed some check. Anyway, it doesn't really matter the details, um, but I certainly drew the blade first. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, I didn't for um, game. Legal reasons. Yeah, well, for alignment reasons, I didn't do such things. Yeah, um, um, but I, I know this is a really small part and doesn't, make any difference to that whole situation really but one of my favourite things about that is because it it was random and it wasn't prepared and you know that the DM was having to think on his feet and work his way through it and the reason that I, I know confidently that's the case is because when we decided that we wanted to talk to them and it wasn't like a Ah, there's a couple of hippos over there and, you know, the path goes this way. The fact we went, wait, 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 hippos? And we so focused in on that. <laughs> I was but, obsessed with hippos, though, for some... I, I'm yeah. a Duregar in, in that game and I yeah. think that was the only other purple skin thing we'd ever seen. Yeah. So I was, like, honed in. I can't remember why I was so, like, desperate to talk well, to them. Well, at that time you had a minus what to your intelligence? Two, three. Three, yeah. So, so five, I think. Anyway. So at that point... There wasn't any hippo tokens, and we were using polar bear tokens because apparently that was the closest thing we could find. Yeah. <laughs> so there was all these polar bears walking about in this kind of swampy tropical jungle, and <laughs> <laughs> just chasing polar bears around the map. And there were hippos. Yeah, that didn't even stop us trying to speak to polar um, polar bears to hippos later on either. I tried mm-hmm. it before we get, got too far away before we wouldn't see them, but at least they got the pelts. I think they said to be about ten grand though. To make the armor, yeah. um, it doesn't really matter. That's all game. We can talk about that later because we should definitely make the armor. Mm-hmm. But um, aye. anyway, that's one of my other ones, just to be surprised. One, but I what? But if you get any others that you can think of, whether it's that game or not. Well, again, sticking with that game, um, uh, the first character that I played in that game, um, he had as part of his, his 
backstory and as well as his backstories like everyday life he had a, a son so you know that got brought through mm. the different stories like earlier on like one of the situations we ended up in is the camp got attacked again by the kind of werewolf dwarf type enemies right. mm-hmm. and one of the things that they'd done is they basically created a description distraction distraction in the outside of the camp again the kind of main NPCs and the main PCs all go to try and deal with that then halfway through dealing with that they suddenly realise that it's been a distraction and that a lot of the I think it was like every kid in the camp had been like rounded up kid, literally kidnapped and like were in the process of being taken away so you know, very early on, there was stuff like that happening and things. So you know, the, there was always some way that he was involved in the story. But then, I kind of maybe this be a year on maybe. Oh, it's the campaign. I yeah yeah. So from the start. Yeah yeah. yeah. So that that kind of time period. So you know, you'd had all these different things and the different bits of peril and you know <clears throat> different you know conundrums coming up are going right well do you prioritise this particular family member or the camp as a whole or you know and kind of try to balance out your kind of your day job of keeping the society running and like your personal life but then an opportunity comes up that there's you know, we get word that in this location there might be something worth acquiring for legal reasons. We acquired it, we never stole anything. And in this location over here, there's something else that we might want to acquire. And you know, so it split the three players in the game up basically. So we all got our own kind of wee side quest that we done and then came back. But during the side quest that I was on, um, it was a a train robbery basically mm-hmm. um, and we turned up and worked our way through and kind of bumped into different colourful figures that were there and then one person that appeared was somebody that kind of looked vaguely familiar but you hadn't seen them before and it was Gilbert they were help- it wasn't Gilbert um, <laughs> and they were helping you out and then you go and you puzzle and you puzzle and you puzzle and then the penny eventually drops through whatever checks I had to do and whatever clues I had to pick up on that this is an actual fact the character that I was playing son but is like a fully grown adult not as a kid which then you know it it threw up loads of questions at that point and I think there's still maybe the odd question hanging about just now that hasn't been fully answered but basically from that point there you knew that <laughs> you knew it wasn't good news the fact that this person's turned up because they're talking about events in their past that should be happening in your present or in your recent past and it's practically the opposite of what's been going on so you're instantly getting either parallel timelines are happening or it's possible that something's happened at some point in the future and this person has went 
bananas um, and it's came back into this timeline and you know it's thrown up all sorts of different things and the the future son as a as a character would appear and disappear and come back and then as time ticked on the threat just grew more mm. and more and more and more and then what it left my character with is the dilemma of if you if you kill the future son to keep everything safe just now is he still going to develop into that person and have you just killed your own kid or is this a parallel timeline and it's not going to affect the here and now and it's although it's the same person it's somebody different so it's thrown up all these weird kind of philosophical questions as well that you don't really I recommend you just killing him that was it. It's an older, it's an older version. Just kill him. Your, your normal son will be okay. But then that was very much the barbarian brain. I think coming. I don't know if we actually knew that in person. I can't. We might have discovered that much later on. But um, mm-hmm. it was, it was a very. It, it, you know that really represented though in that game. Do we could probably do well an episode in the game at some point? Maybe not if we're talking about this here. But mm-hmm. it did kind of have a fork. But in the game, it kind of changed what the rules were that. Now, we didn't learn, I don't think me and the other guy learned about that until later, because I think he kept it under wraps, but because yeah. well, mm-hmm. these individuals, it was basically three heists we'd done, um, was it the heist, Jeff, yeah, was that what that yeah, was? Yeah, yeah, so I had um, the chain robbery and... I had a mask, a tunic and all that, but um, so we did them separate, so we didn't play yep. with each other those <clears> games, <throat> it was uh, the GM, it took like me aside one week, then it was Jamie and then the, the third player. I said a different week so we all did it individually and then kind of congregated at the end so when our characters assuming the idea was if you died anyone that survived would come and meet each other and then yes. you wouldn't be there so it was much later on we learned that but it did it, it changed the rules for how the game was going to play now um, although we kicked his ass later on when he came back but he grew so strong by that point uh, it was so bad. There was actually two more times I think we fought him. Or I think I dispatched him. I think it was after your guy might have died. <laughs> I think o- I think Oakenham had died, and then I killed the son. <laughs> I ended up playing this the future joke? son in a kind of dream sequence oh, that you that's had right. to deal with, along with the other player, um, the chameleon. If anybody's been tracking that and following that, along with the chameleon is. Uh, a kind of ghost version of one of his previous characters and things so yeah so it, it kind of kept recurring here and there and because it, it like for me because it tied into different things that I'd came up with but it taken that kind of start point and ran uh, sorry the the DM had taken that and then ran with it and developed mm-hmm. it, it it made it interesting because you were kind of rediscovering like bits of your own idea and you're seeing how it change slightly and how it could go in a different direction so that's one of the reasons for me as well why it was a kind of a memorable enemy and a kind of a favourite yeah and it's an enemy that it's not just like the the threat so we talked about political threat there mm. there's maybe maybe there's an element of that with with this guy but not as far as we can tell no but it was definitely was a threat especially because he did psychic damage which yeah. is the only bit of damage that actually gets mm. through my damage resistance well, the, the thing about that is a threat or the, or the kind of feel of the threat 
is it was a threat of the unknown mm. because you were placed in the position that you go like I was saying earlier on you don't know if it's the same person further down this current timeline you don't know if it's a different timeline you know so your brain's kind of working to try and figure out what box to put them in mm-hmm. but the other thing that was happening was that because it's someone from the future but it's someone from the camp it's like anything that we've told the DM about our characters anything we've told them about goals or plans anything that we are currently discussing with each other just now he can then legitimately have that character knowing 100% word for word what's been said and what's went on Mm -hmm. because you know he's one of us but further down that timeline he also had mind reading powers though so he wouldn't have even needed that but um, I'm sure he had mind reading powers but when when he was turning around and addressing you as an example because it wasn't just me that you know it wasn't like a thing that I had to work through and deal with it was it was everybody in the camp so when he was turning around and addressing you and talking about um, I can't remember exactly what it was with you I think at some point in the future timeline the your two characters fought each other and you know when you were like you know older and like weaker and that he get rid of you and then he was in charge of the whole place and you know so there's all this other stuff so there was all these other kind of threats appearing that you're going but it's not happened yet if it's going to happen yeah and you know all all this kind of weird 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 stuff was getting thrown up yeah we did find it later on it was a timeline thing but i don't know if it was that guy that told us that if it was the 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 kind of theater woman there was mm-hmm. somebody mentioned like oh in our timeline and we went parallel universes um, so yeah it, it did it changed it changed the format almost or, or at least it changed our expectations of what could now happen you know mm-hmm. um, and certainly I wouldn't want to come up against my character because hell no I mean last game I was doing like 25 plus damage per hit like don't, don't give him any ideas if he's listening I, Please don't. Oh, by the time this ends up going out, it'll be way after we finish that. Who knows? It depends how long it's taken. It's taken us about two and a half years to get a third of the way through the map, so maybe in ten years we'll get there. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's like, that was a great one from that game because that's one that I just, a lot of the time, and part of it's maybe a and d fatigue just because I do so much of it, but like combat to me is not that exciting. So when you do get combat with people that because we did have combat with them him mm-hmm. you know that's unique that's great but when there's all this other stuff like because that potentially that one character completely changed what could be coming up mm-hmm. you know now whether or not the GM had that in his mind at the time probably did but I mean if you had a character that was that much of a change the game type mm-hmm. game if I was running it and I'd wind that I would, it would give me your thoughts for the game something like that so it was really really cool yeah, it's certainly it's a well kind of it's a really good baddie in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I so I think then I'm going to move away from that game a wee bit just because we've spoke about it for for a wee bit now. Uh, there was one I was going to say, but it's from a published campaign. But I'll come to that last because I'm still running it, and we, oh god, it's going to be so good to finish that game. Not because I want it done, but because it's been so good. We've played it for over a year now, but. Um, 
One of the ones then, so this is for people, if you know, you know, it's a Warhammer thing. So here we go. Um, but Warhammer 40k, Wrath and Glory, um, it's Cubicle 7 that published that. Um, I've been doing quite a few games, Jamie and, and I and uh, some of the others had played that already, but I've ran a few games of that, maybe about five or six of them now. And one of the games was a very off-the-cuff thing. I'd seen something to do with Nurgle. And I thought, for those who don't know, Nurgle is this, like, god of, like, disease and pestilence. But I'm sure the Warhammer 40k guys will correct me or shoot me with the bolters if I've got any of it wrong. Um, but um, I wanted this whole fat, gross, leaking, disease-ridden monstrosity. All, all the manky stuff that I love. Like, if it's Cthulhu, I want gooey, slimy monsters. And that... Nurgle's a great um, representation of that in Warhammer. So, uh, I, but one of the things I loved, I remember the old Space Marines game, and my brother's a big fan of that. And there's all these like, English Yorkshire accent dwarfs saying get the Space Marines and all that stuff. So, but I wanted to actually play them in the game, so I actually had them come in. The reason mm-hmm. they're actually one of my way favourite baddies, now I'm trying to use different systems, um, well, somewhat... But, I mean, they're not big bosses, and if I'd done more Warhammer, I might have a different pick. But for me, the funniest baddies that I've ran in Warhammer so far was the the Orcs, for sure. Um, And for those who know, the Orcs are like big, dumb, kind of... Well, are they dumb? I I don't actually know lore-wise. But they're supposed to be big, dumb, brutish, and somewhat psychic, um, just to do with their sheer force of will or something. Um, But the Orcs are basically... Think of them like meat grinders... Uh, they just beat things to a pulp. It's like broken English speaker. Their spelling's always wrong, I've noticed. So uh, they were a lot of fun when I ran them for the play- uh, my players because I, 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 I queued it up to be some nurgly thing. I gave them the hint and it sent them going spinning like conspiracy theories. Oh my God, it's a chaos power or whatever it is. Um, and I had them sneaking about. And one of the players in particular is, like really knows Warhammer. But I managed to get him off the scent of it being someone, like being orcs. I think they said orcs, but I had them being sneaky. But you've got orc commandos who are like stealthy and they'll just jump out and start beating the crap out of you. Um, So they were a lot of fun and particularly the reason why they were so fun is one, they're actually super funny to play. They're dead fun, they're dead slapstick, at least the way I played them. Um, But it also, it gave players what they want in a game like that. They want to meet grind. Wrath and Glory's got great combat rules, half of which I do not know how to do properly, um, mm-hmm. as you probably realise. Well, yeah. to be honest, I did most of them right, but Jamie kept throwing blast rules at me, and I had no idea how to do them. So I was just like, just roll that and do it. But um, or- the Orc guys were great fun, because it allowed for like physical threat, and the whole thing about them I only discovered when I ran it. I think only threw about three of them at my players. And they went, if there's three, there's going to be more. And I went... Oh crap, maybe I've underestimated or overestimated these guys, so I threw another six or something at them, just out of the blue. Um, but it was a total riot. They were in, in their elements screaming at orcs and trying to kill them, and I was shouting as the orcs to them. Um, it's just great fun. I mean, really, it's it's doing the whole um, hack and slash thing, but to a degree where you can actually get through combat in one night. Um, it was so much fun. I mean, that's more a Wrath and Glory thing, but with D&D, one of these big sequences could have taken a couple hours. I think within three hours we had three major fights in that game and it was all orcs and smashing and grabbing a bit of Nurgle and a bit of magic. Um, It was a lot of fun. So definitely if you've got Warhammer 40k, Wrath and Glory and you've done like the the graveyard shift which was the stuff that you played, Mm -hmm. um, one of the free scenarios, um, definitely, definitely, definitely check out 
uh, some of the orc expansions they've got because one of the campaigns you get to play as the orcs which I think would be so much fun but uh, definitely the stat blocks for the orcs and having them as enemies for your players will be a lot of fun because they they're just funny like they're they're one of my favourite ones, like actual factions, because they're just so funny to me. But that's why they definitely make my list of my favourite baddies so far, mm-hmm. at least. Uh, maybe when I do more Wrath and Glory, because I've got a whole bunch of that material now, uh, that'll change. But for now, they're still my, that was like my favourite game of Wrath and Glory so far, out of the seven or eight I've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, just thinking back to the, the curveballs that you were throwing that night with the, the blast stuff. Aye, but that game, my, my dad came in at the end and scared the crap out of everyone. But he'd said, like, John, I have no idea. Because it was, like, the big final fight. And he's like, I don't know how you, you, you're you doing all this. Because there, so, there was a lot of players, there was a lot going on. There was now a baddie who came in who was actually a player, um, a surprise guest player. Um, and, in fact, most of it was pretty basic, but there was other stuff I'm like... Yeah, just do it. Just do it. It's like, who cares? We're just we're just trying it out. You know, it's different if maybe we wanted to do something serious with it or more longer term, but I knew yeah. it was going to be a, a few nights worth. Yeah, so I know, like, no, definitely as well. That there was, what, three, four people that hadn't played it before. Is that right? Well, p- pretty much everyone hadn't played it except for, yeah. for except for Dad. Aye. Mm. So I've obviously played Well, I've never actually played it yet. I've only ever run it. Ran it, yeah. Aye, but... I throw in some Space Marines and all that that I get to play myself. Aye. But um, aye, so they're definitely one of my favourites. Um, have you got any... What have you got? What's one of your favourites? I know you've talked about a couple in the Dwarf. You mm-hmm. had... Uh, and I don't want to spoil because I think I know some of them. You go. Yeah. Well, one of the ones that sticks out from what, a different campaign setting and things and I don't know if we are going to revisit this campaign or not, I'm not actually sure mm-hmm. I don't know because when we've been talking to the other guys it's kind of is there and the kind of recall from it seems pretty immediate for it to be getting binned mm-hmm. but um, it was a Stars Without Number game that we were playing mm. and the kind of backdrop to this was big wars going on, we were part of a military unit that was kind of up to shady stuff that's maybe not quite <laughs> not quite up to the sort of standard shall we say um, and then the kind of balance in the war tips the kind of conflict is in the process of finishing off and then we are kind of no longer needed so conveniently all this stuff starts to get held against us and then we end up kind of fleeing to anywhere we can to escape and then our characters manage to get back in touch with each other and we're kind of slowly starting to kind of get ourselves kind of back in our feet so we're essentially kind of nomadic opportunistic criminals and that's where the game sort of starts it sounds like the dwarves <laughs> at least we're seen know? as nomadic <laughs> uh, opportunistic criminals at least after that yeah. campaign yeah that's the thing like anywhere we go we're just getting <laughs> racism basically hurled at us which isn't fun um, so with so with this game um, and by the point that this happened I think we were kind of a good chunk through so we kind of played this for a bit as a sort of break from the dwarf 
campaign just for something a bit different and then mm-hmm. back into this and then a break and then back into this um, and it was as much as well so that our DM for the Dwarf campaign could play as a character for a bit and then go back to DMing and things so you know so that's what we were kind of using this for primarily at the time so we'd done that for a good bit and then we ended up on a planet and I can't remember exactly how we got on if the ship ran into trouble and we ended up stuck and having to find a way out or if we went down everything was okay but then when we landed then everything just died and it was like an EMP or you know I think that's maybe what it was. Was this the snow place? Yeah. Right, yeah. I was getting mixed up with the other stars without numbers we done. Um, yeah. yeah, that's right. I think we were just trying to get away and there was I, a signal there. That's what it was. There was a signal there. So we go down to investigate, yeah. land in the landing pad and everything dies because the landing pad was rigged. So as soon as the ship touched yeah. it, it just shorted everything out. So it was goosed, I think mm-hmm. is the technical term. Um, you're a, you're a techie guy, is that the technical term when your circuits get fried? It's goosed. I, I use a different word, but I don't know if we can say it. <laughs> Beginning with F. And, yeah. yeah. Um, so, land, everything's gone, and then because of the weather outside and because everything in the ship has stopped, it's then a case of right panic. What do we do? So, we then get into like vac suits and things so that we go right because we're going to need to get out and try to repair the ship or we're going to need to go out and rummage about the place and look for stuff to repair the ship mm-hmm. and you know so the, the long and the short we we can't avoid not going out the ship but you're looking outside and it's it's like a total total blizzard and just white everywhere so we go out we see that there's a big building in the distance so we all start trekking towards it and nothing kind of nothing scary's happened yet and then we go out and then we go into the building and we see that the building's still got a bit of power um, managed to get into that and when we're trying to get in there's a kind of an acronym on it which is Sunny and then we get in and then we start talking to the computer system that's there and that's the name of the AI that's, that's keeping the facility going but there's absolutely nobody there at all and then we start trying to get parts together and we ask the computer and it tells us and it directs us to different places and it's <laughs> it's been dead helpful it's, it's you know it's telling us where everything is and we're working through and that's all fine but then as it's helping us it then starts to ask us questions and then after it starts asking us questions it then asks us if we can take it with us when we leave because it's been there for however many hundreds of thousands of years and it's, you know, alone basically and, you know, so you kind of start feeling sorry for it and then that goes on for another bit but then after it asking to be taken with us it then starts to demand a thing here and there and rather than ask kind of directly say and then eventually this snowballs and snowballs and snowballs to the point that it's it it becomes a real and immediate threat and it ended up taking out one of the NPCs that we had who 
unfortunately was the ship's pilot and none of us picked pilots a skill so that was sketchy I actually don't remember a lot of this I think I'm getting mixed up because there was also a really great AI Sith thing that was the very first stars with it that was like the beginning of that kind of mini series we'd done mm. but so that's what I thought you were maybe going to talk mm-hmm. about but I do I vaguely remember but yeah. I can't believe how much of this I forgot though because it wasn't even that long ago like it's within the last mm-hmm. year, six months, maybe. No, was it longer than that? My God. Well, <laughs> never mind then, that's why I don't remember. Yeah, it was a, a good while ago. It would be at least, at least a year and a Is half, this one by the Jedi and all that? No. Oh, right, okay, well, I'm, I have not, I've completely mixed up then. Right, never mind then. So. This is, um, what do you call it, Deluge or not? Yeah, I still don't remember that at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, so that was a long yeah. time ago, because I thought we did a Star Wars themed, yeah, it was Star Wars themed Stars Without Numbers game, because I thought you were talking about the Sith AI thing, um, and then we went to the Snow Planet, mm-hmm. which we did in that game, which was a signal, we went down, and yeah. it, that was EMP though, I thought, because that's where the guy had the swords and I get the Sith powers. Might be mixing that up. But, so, so, but then it might have similar-ish settings. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, cool. Yeah. Or we've just tumbled that that got recycled on us and none of us realised. Yeah, maybe. But who cares? Like, it was still fun either way, wasn't it? So. Mm-hmm. Or was it stolen? Because was it two different DMs? Oh, I have no idea. Oh. If it was more than a year ago, man, it's out. I barely even remember rolling characters on a week-by-week <coughs> basis because of the amount of games I do. <laughs> So many games. <laughs> yeah, but again, that's why that was memorable because it turned into kind of 2001 at that point. And you're going, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh no, it started off and you were hoping that it wasn't going to go that way, but it, uh, it went. It went I can't wait 2001 for it. pretty quick. I yeah. can't wait for the GM to hear this and he's going to go, I didn't run that game. Like, none of us ran it. It's some amalgamation we've made over time. That'd be so funny if it's one of these, like, false memories that's been planted. Um, but, yeah, I don't really remember that one. But certainly, there's been some very memorable AI bosses. Like, this, I mentioned the Star Wars one. It was basically, it was this, I guess it was the essence of the Sith, a Sith Lord in the computer. And it came out and it created a form. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know Star Wars, so I don't know how it all works. I don't know if it was a homebrew or if it's, if it's like, lore. But, um, no, that was a cool one too, because I wasn't expecting that. I was just expecting kind of basic Star Wars, because we did that one for a few games. Yeah. But, red, um, red mist through event usually means we're getting gassed rather than... Mm-hmm. You know, a person is about to appear. Yeah, and then I end up being a Sith. But yeah, so that that's a God. I can't believe I don't remember a single damn thing about it. Out of that campaign, I barely I remember the slave woman at the bot that we were saying was a sex bot, and the guy oh, was that not him that was running it though? Was the other guy running it? It's just so, so mixed up. Anyway, there's been a whole bunch of great games, but the Deluge was this guy, I don't know, he was a wheeling dealer. Um, he was probably a good bad guy in himself if he was actually like fighting against him. If he wasn't, you. Yeah, if he, <laughs> hey, if he was an NPC, like a baddie, he could have been a nightmare because they had a lot of chat considering there was some sleazy... He became a kind of Rupert Murdoch media baron at one point. Oh, that's point right. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet emails take like thousands of years to get sent through space, so like, I don't know how it works, but... Um, aye, yeah, that's funny. It's funny kind of reminiscing on stories that I don't have a shred of memory about. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, well, do you know what? I, I would dig it and know it's after. Yeah, like, that would be good to see. Yeah, I'm sure they've done that before now, but... Nah, don't need it, we don't need it. <laughs> Professionalism. Yeah, <laughs> out the window. Um, okay, well, I think then, I'm going to... This probably will be my last, because there was two of us stuck it on, in terms of baddies, that mm. I would want to say is my kind of last one. But I'll, I'll do the big obvious one, and if people have ran this campaign, and you might even already know what I'm going to say, but I just love this campaign to bits because it takes a lot of the, the standard kind of things. It uses a lot of folklore, especially like Slavic folklore and things. And it, it doesn't always totally flip the lid on them. It doesn't mm-hmm. maybe do unique things all the time with them. But it ties it at all with this different Slavic folklore, Eastern European folklore, into like one game and you get to go in and you just get to... You'll recognise a lot of the stuff, but that doesn't mean you don't enjoy it. You actually can play into it because you know what's going on. Yeah, because um, you're familiar with it, so you don't need to spend time trying to picture it to then get back into it. You're just already there. Yeah, so like the difference between a 1920s game of Cthulhu and a modern-day one, yeah. I find people... I think people with Cthulhu, it's easier for them to get into, but if it was modern versus the 20s and you don't know the 20s, it's harder to actually role-play in, whereas modern, it's, I mean, you're in a modern day. But um, with this, because you know all the folklore, you kinda, you, you almost have a clue in, but you get to enjoy, rather than trying to work out these weird little obscure puzzles about strange lore things that people made up, It's you get to immerse yourself it's like the learning curve to play the games like much lower and that's for those who obviously will know by now if you played it it's a cursor strad uh, awesome awesome campaign me and a few others have been playing it for just over a year now um, or at least a year um, but we just last week started the finale for it so uh, I hope they don't TPK because if they do it we're probably not going to we'll end it there although mm-hmm. we might go back and like do the alternate ending it later as one shots but um, we're about to start to finish it and there's so many great things in that there's Baba Lazaga actually that might be, have been my favourite fight now I'm saying that no, no I'll stick to my original thought but Baba Lazaga is awesome such a great sequence there's the whole stuff about uh, if you're playing Cursor Strad mute for the next five minutes um, three I'll wait to one just in case I hate it, things getting spoiled but Baba Lazaga's got all the creeping hut stuff big evil witch clearly um, it's basically the Baba Yaga but it's called Lazaga for whatever reason <laughs> um, copyright reasons aye maybe um, but you've got imagine getting sued by an entire country I know well I suppose it's uh, whoever wrote it is dead is it 80 years copyright has or something before you can actually just steal it because Winnie the Pooh became yeah. copyright free recently. That's why they've got horror movies about a guy, Blood and Honey it's called. And Anyway, I digress. Um, but you've got Baba Lazaga. There's so many good bosses. There's so many good homebrew bosses. There's a werewolf group. You could definitely have them. There's amazing situa- like situational or environmental storytelling with great little dramas in the stories. You've got... Um, you've got the Watcher family. You've got the, the Baron of Valaki. Whole bunch of amazing stuff's my point, but my favourite, and there's two I'd maybe pick, although I suppose that guy's not a baddie, uh, but it would either be Baba Lazaga because we had so much fun. It was one of these combats I took all night, and I'm not a fan of them, as you probably know if you've been listening to this, but that was an all night fight, and it was mm-hmm. awesome. I, I, I phased it as well, so it wasn't like all the bad stuff, it was like bad, bad stuff. And it got even worse, like right after that, and it was really touch and go for everyone involved. 
Um, I think the bad is she walked away with two hit points or something. They would have been so mad. They let her away, but they would be so mad. Um, you've got the the witches of the old bone grinder, another great um, little group of, of witches. But the, my favourite one, if you obviously you you'll share the sentiment if you've ran the game, is Strad von Zarovic or Vich. I don't know how you pronounce it. I guess it's Zarovic because we're from Scotland and we say Kh at the ends of the C and H's. Um, but Strad is such an awesome. A lot of it is the tropes of the vampire. You know, you've got your Renfield type there. You've got your lost love. You've got the whole tortured soul crying, you know, whatever, big vampire. But there's so much in that game that it really sets Strad apart from, like, the traditional folklore stuff. Um, They cram in so much folklore that they can use the bits to make them really super unique. But we've had a complete blast with Strad, not just the whole campaign, but with that character in particular. And I would say because it encourages you to, I mean, Strad's supposed to be bold and confident, and you know he's got a mastermind of tactics and things so I can't remember if it was something I'd read or if it was in the book but anyway there was some recommendation to have him show up early because this is like the guy in the front cover and if you see him mm-hmm. as soon as you go it's like oh what the hell this is the baddie and then people might try and fight him and die but um, so but he's been like present throughout this entire campaign he's constantly coming in he's, he's, he's screwing with my players um, it's just so much stuff that I've been doing. He's been just really throwing a rock in them. He's been testing them a lot, seeing what they, you know, what they're worth. Uh, they've just done a sequence with a dinner. It's kicked off the final fight and stuff. But everybody has had a blast with him, especially because he's been able to appeal to certain characters in, in the game uh, in ways that maybe appeals to their selfish side. Maybe they want to help him out to some degree before they try and backstab him. But there's so much good stuff about it. And for me, the best thing about Strad, other than the standard folklore stuff that you know about vampires and all the usual stuff, which it does play to, and you do, it does matter in these games, like being invited in. That's like definitely a rule for the vampires, and at least Cursor Strad. Don't know about general D&D, but definitely in that game. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we've had such a blast with it. And the thing that's made it such a blast is it feels like an omnipresent, well, presence, I suppose. Um, every single thing my players have done, they've went. Oh, Strad probably knows this, and he's not. He doesn't know everything, but it's just so much fun. It, it toys with the players' minds a bit more, similar to the Iron Founders to yeah. some degree. And um, there's not a political threat from Strad, but he toys. He's like a cat and mouse type thing. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I've done it. I'm sure that's how they suggest it anyway. But we've had so much fun, and that's like even if we didn't have all the other really cool stuff in that campaign, even just that one guy was so cool to have. Um, but I think we're all going to be slightly gutted when we finish it because it's definitely got maybe a few games at most. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of the only long-form campaigns, including my own, which I'd rather take a break than run it immediately after doing it. But it's the only campaign that I'm going to approach the end and I'd be happy starting it the next day with another group. It's so much fun. Yeah, I just love how the, the book's presented. Yeah. But anyway, that's my final baddie. And mm-hmm. the reason for him being like favourite is... He's got the standard stereotypes, there's all the folklore tie-ins, it's an amazing story and setting for him, but it's just it's the way that you can play him. He's so versatile as a GM, if you're running him, to just go in, really screw with players and really change the game up for them. Um, and if you're fighting them, I think a lot of the time you feel like you're on the back foot, at least that's how I feel like my players have felt, which is the whole point. So it's been so much fun, and it's been the biggest cat and mouse game I've ever played in my life so far. So a year and a bit of cat and mouse it's been awesome 
Unfortunately, he's probably will never get to play it unless we do one shots. But I don't imagine mm. we'll kick off that campaign. Um, at least any time soon. Well, just so many games. Unless we start cycling, like I've been saying, the campaigns <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> Not for me to run big campaigns, but just because it it, it even helps for this. You know, yep. we get to talk about all these different things, and I mean, I've been quite fortunate to do loads mm-hmm. of other games. So yeah. I have these, a lot of these opportunities, but I know it's certainly our group. It tends to be the same sort of games we play. Um, although we've done a few, quite a few recently, including Warhammer and, and Daylane. But anyway, Strad, my big one. Well, for me, the last one I'm going to talk about is my top one out of everything that I've talked about. And that is Jordan. He is the ultimate, ultimate enemy that any of us have ever faced. In my opinion. Is this in the game or...? No, just in general. Yeah, that makes sense. I've heard that from others, believe it or not. (laughs) So what happened, and this again goes back to the the dwarf campaign, and again, I've I've mentioned it quite a lot so far and a lot of the memorable stuff that we've done, and that is because rather than it being a one-shot that has to kind of really go out of its way to grab you, Mm -hmm. because it's the campaign that we keep going back to and because it's developing and going along there's 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 just so much content's been covered in it and 99.9% of things in that campaign have been things that have been created don't get me wrong it might be based on other things and there might be tweaks here and there like hippos you know they weren't invented but all the extra stuff bolted on was um, so again I think that's why I kind of keep sort of popping back to it that there's a lot Mm -hmm. there rather than some of our other one shots and other bits and pieces but what had happened if you haven't seen um, previous episodes where I've whinged about what happened is that Jordan couldn't make it for whatever reason one week so myself and the chameleon we both done a sort of side quest one shot kind of thing and then as it turned out we never got through everything so because of that uh, then the next time that we were there Jordan was able to make it but we were still in the middle of doing this so as far as we were aware as players Jordan was just there and he was just going to hang out and then that was it, we are going to quickly tidy up, finish off that game and then off we go, but then dun 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 epic reveal, Jordan's the big main boss man that we have to fight Yeah, that's right, and I think uh, I think he's probably suspected something, but I think we got, he's got to a bit in the game and just were like, oh here's Jordan, and it wasn't or it was some, I can't mm. mind, but there was definitely a kind of beta switch thing the guy had done the, see, GM. the thing is, I didn't Oh you that. didn't? Oh, I think the other guy said that then I, I can't well, mind it The so reason that I didn't is because previously to that and I don't mean like the day before <laughs> I don't mean it was as obvious as by the way, I don't mind watching games and not taking part. Wink. You know, it wasn't as obvious as that. Like, you know, weeks before, months before, whatever, you'd talked about it because, like, during that period in particular, you had a lot of work and mm-hmm. events and, you know, all sorts of stuff happening at the one time. I think you were even switching jobs as well mm-hmm. as having your other job and, you know, all this crazy, crazy, crazy stuff going on. 
so you talk to them and well, if I can't make it and then the next time there's something that needs to be kind of tidied up or whatever I don't mind watching so we'd already had that conversation uh-huh. and then yeah. because this wasn't planned to run on to the next week you went oh, well, uh, I'm just watching it. I'm, you know, I'm still hanging I do out remember anyway. going I remember saying to the GM yeah, just so, join. so for me you know, never never spotted it at all you know, I took you at your word and that's why the betrayal was so great uh, it lied to my face and then he lied to me digitally as well um, did more than that to you digitally yeah exactly so big fights happening prior to that my character discovered a scroll and the scroll was like an original copy of a religious text and it was Meaningful. A, valuable money wise and B, it was you know having it going back to this right to claim the throne stuff you know if you've got like the actual handwritten word of someone who's held up as a god then you know you've got a pretty good claim to a lot of things in the dwarven world so um, my character turned around to the chameleon's character and uttered the fateful words whatever happens this needs to get back to the camp if all hell breaks loose and it's not going well you run and you keep running and you make sure it gets back and you don't look back to see where I am. Never did I think that those words that I used um, would actually come back and haunt me. Um, Just some melodramatic role playing yeah, as we d- love to indulge in. Yeah. But it turns out these ones were true. Yeah, so the fight's going on and Jordan is now revealed as the big boss man because he wasn't initially there at first with the fight. He only came in kind of one or two that's, rounds that's in. That's right. It was a kind of so it was an even even bigger shock, even bigger surprise. That's right. And of course, I was like victim number one. Um, and get ganked real bad. Yeah, I mean, it it, it ran close, but ultimately. It didn't go well just through, like, what... I, I think I sat and worked it out at the end. It was one bad role. I'd misinterpreted a rule yeah. that I'd been using for the past, again, like, two, two and a quarter years at this point. I'd totally misread it. So if I knew that, then I could have used it properly and probably survived. If that one bad role wasn't bad, I probably would have survived if I'd used an ability that I'd just got because I That's found right. a magic item. I remember that one. I... I would have survived. And, you know, there was like four or five things that if any one of those things had changed, then the fight would have flipped. It would have survived. It would have been a totally different story. That's but what makes it worse, though, It, it didn't it? work. But, yeah, that was the thing. So at the time, it was... You know, it was a a bit a bit of a sickener at the time because you're going every single one of them apart from the rule was my fault because I'd misread the rule and been using it, albeit somebody could have pointed it out, but nobody did because nobody else picked up on it because I was just confidently mm-hmm. using it. So that was my fault. The new magic item that I got with the ability that I could have used again my fault because I forgot about it and I forgot I had it because I'd literally just got it like the game before or something Mm -hmm. and whatever the other things were everything was 
my blame, my fault, apart from the bad role. So that's just luck, that's you know, the that's yeah. the way it is. Um, <clears throat> and then, so it was, it, it was a kind of strange mix at the time. Now looking back on it, it's funny, right? And it's, you know, it's a laugh. But at the time, it was, it was really, really, <clears throat> it was really strange because it was kind of. You know, it was interesting because you weren't expecting it, and because it's player versus player, um, and that's where we talk about it in more details. If you want to go back and check out that yeah. episode, nice wee plug there. Mm-hmm. Total accident. Um, Professional so podcast. Uh, <clears throat> so because it was player versus player, it made the combat interesting, and it also kind of added an element, a kind of competitiveness to it as well, mm-hmm. and you know, different other things. So that was good, but at the same point, you're going. You killed me. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't the fact that I forgot this and I forgot that and the role was bad. It's your fault. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it had this kind of weird, kind of <clears throat> weird kind of balance behind it. But now, more times past, it is just funny and kind of something to kind of shrug your shoulders at. Whereas at the time, it was kind of, it was gutting the way it worked out. Yeah, I think especially because it was so like painful, it wasn't even like a quick. I mean, even that last round, it was literally mm. one more round. I would have went down if you didn't go down. Even forgetting the mistakes, if you stayed up one more round and hit me, there was a very good chance. I mean, I could have still survived another round, but I think your kind of average damage that game was probably enough to have done it. Cause it was, it was, it was mm-hmm. very, very, very low. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's basically a toss of a coin practically at that yeah, point and it just so yeah. happened that you hit me and I missed you or whatever it was and then yeah I think did I not start with crits as well so I had and I, I roll like crap like and every game during that point as well I was getting like totally surrounded yeah you were flanked because I'd flanked yeah. you invisible which is how I and I think I got the advantage and then I got the crit Plus, in my first like attack. Plus there was two other groups of people there as well. Yeah. So it was. It was pretty. So brutal. at the start as well, I was going right. If I leave, then it's like three or four opportunity attacks I'm taking, and I seen the amount of damage you were pulling, and I was like, don't know if I can risk all of that at the one time Aye. to then move to then have you all catch up with me anyway because I don't have great movement. So I just need to kind of stand there and sort of take it and and combat went on from there but the <clears throat> epic reveal was the kind of the thing with it and the fact that I lost the character in the fight as well kind of burns that quite heavily into the hard drive yeah I think as well and it's hard to describe that to people when we've played these guys for so long mm. I'm kind of more resigned that if my guy now had dies I'm kind of like, ah, whatever I think because we've got that point just certain see, way the games have been run you see that's the weird thing about it though because Again, we're going off topic here, but you're the only person who hasn't died yet. Yeah, but then and, maybe it'll and, be different when and, I do die. And you're kind of meh about it, whereas like game one, I was not quite shrugged my shoulders at it, but you know, if it, something happened in game one versus game, you know, like whatever, I then you know I'd be less upset at game one than I was when he went. So. You know, the fact that you're kind of doing the opposite, you were, you, you seem to be kind of going down the way and sort of de-escalating. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have cared early on, probably about midway to three quarters to the point where I, I would have cared. And then like the last maybe few months of playing, 
I've just been like, oh, whatever. I just, just because the certain things that we've spoke about it before, and I think even in the, in the podcast about how how the game is actually set up and things, it's just kind of like. But I've also, you know, I think I suppose the difference as well is I do I do so many other games. It's kind of like whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, but I just know I've got borrowed time, I guess. But um, yeah. Anyway, I think that's a kind of bad because that's a big one, and it's hard to describe that if you played somebody for so long if they just get thingied. I think probably a big turning point was when you switched and played my guy, and I thought, oh, I don't have any agency over him anymore. So mm-hmm. it's like if he dies, he dies, and I'll be like, okay, it's just the way the cookie crumbles. So I've also I'm resigned to the fact my rolls are ass like all the time. They're total rubbish. Even when I run games, I can never kill anyone. It's a pain in the ass, which is why I love Cthulhu, Alien, mm-hmm. and all these other games. But um, anyway, I think that covers pretty much all, all of our favourite baddies so far. Because you know who knows, we might in even in two months' time we might have a whole different list. Just really depends. So I think then we'll maybe just tie it off there. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think then you've heard about our favourite baddies. We would love to hear from you what your favourite bad guys are. So whether that's be NPCs or, or bigger bosses, doesn't matter if they're handbook material or not. You know, or monster manual or not. But just be interested to hear them because certainly it's good to see what other things people are up against. Yeah. Uh, I, for example, uh, heard about like I've seen beholders before in a game that I played, but I've mm-hmm. never actually ran one and actually got to run it for the first time. Last week or the week before, and it was a riot, and it did come down to a case of it was one more round. If it stayed up, it would have been TPK. Kane. It was really, really close. Yeah. And this is for like a level ten group, so mm-hmm. pretty intense. But yeah, so we'd love to see some of your suggestions for bad guys. Um, but I think that's really it for me. Is there any other things you want to plug before we go? Hey, socials. Yeah, just that basically. So if you've again, if you've enjoyed what we've said, if you haven't and you want to write a, <laughs> a big list of things that we should be doing different then you can do that if you're watching or listening on YouTube there's comments underneath there's also a Facebook page that's there there's Twitter, there's Instagram, there's Discord as well mm-hmm. um, and there'll be a link somewhere that you can click on and follow that through cool, well anyway that's it from us thanks for listening and or watching and it's bye from me and bye from you as well mm-hmm.